Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 8 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on November 24th, 2019. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and in this episode we'll be discussing Amazon's potential ventures back into the world of gaming, we'll offer final thoughts on Jedi Fallen Order, and we'll even debate whether or not VR is coming to Project Scarlet in 2020. Before we begin this week, I do want to offer words of thanks to Player One Podcast and State of the Xbox Empire Podcast. Both shows were kind enough to have me on as a panelist last week. I very much enjoyed chatting video games with you guys. It was an absolute pleasure as both of your shows are staples in my podcast repertoire. So I very much appreciate that time. And if for anyone that might be joining us from those audiences, thank you so much for checking out XEP. We are two months in and it's been an incredible ride thus far. And I hope you'll continue on my journey uh, in the podcasting world solo. It has been an absolute blast thus far. And we will get into the news this week, starting with an article out of CNET. They are reporting that Amazon is still planning to announce their own gaming streaming service that will offer Twitch integration. Now, for any audience member that might have forgotten or was not aware, it is Amazon that owns Twitch. And if Amazon is going to be entering into the world of game streaming by way of having their own marketplace or their own services, having the Twitch audience could be a potentially huge boon to their product line. Consider what it is that Google Stadia is offering that might be different than what xCloud currently offers. And that is the idea that you see a streamer or a gamer playing a game via Stadia or you're watching them on YouTube or whatnot. And then you have that one-click option to play the game yourself, to purchase the game yourself. Twitch may indeed offer their own version of that. Mixer, for Microsoft Slate, has its own mix play uh, features that allow you to kind of interact with the game. You can, you can take control of a controller and manipulate things with a streamer if they so choose to allow you. So the idea that you are able to interact uh, with the game that is being streamed is not a new one. It's certainly technology that's being ventured out there in, in various different services. But Amazon is an absolute powerhouse of a company. They have the financial resources. They have the infrastructure. They have their own streaming services by way of uh, Amazon Prime. And the idea that they would enter into the, the streaming battles along with xCloud, Stadia, and whatever it is that PlayStation decides to bring to the table, uh, it certainly seems to be uh, one that heats up competition. And I would stress very much, this is good for gamers. Project xCloud is on its absolute roll right now. The Xbox ecosystem is riding strong when it comes to the streaming platforms. xCloud with XO19 uh, announcements last week that we discussed in our previous episode. Uh, it hit 50 plus games. I mean, there, there's console streaming for the insider ring. Microsoft is certainly ahead of the game, even ahead of Google Stadia in this particular respect, along with their Stadia's trouble rollout. But competition breeds quality amongst those competing. And there is no doubt that if Amazon does bring the weight of Twitch and the weight of their infrastructure into this streaming battle, this is going to push xCloud even harder. It's going to push Stadia to do something special. And you have to imagine that with whatever it is that Sony is trying to bring about in its next gen, and we don't know their plans fully yet, so there's no reason to truly speculate on it, but you just have to imagine something is going to be happening. This will absolutely push all of those services uh, to, to be something special. Nintendo seems to be the outlier in this, and they seem content kind of 
uh, fading back into the background, not in that heated technological debate. We saw that begin with the Wii, uh, and they have stuck to it, stuck true to it, uh, and it hasn't hurt Nintendo one bit as the 3DS and the Switch continue to sell gangbusters. The Wii sold gangbusters, the Wii U being its more recent outlier, but that you know, that's here nor there. What I do think is interesting is that when you look at the services offered by Stadia, by Microsoft, by Sony... Uh, a couple different things may enter your mind. Stadia is kind of a, a nebulous idea that, that's troubled in its rollout, and we're not quite sure where it's going to go. It's very clear that with xCloud and Stadia, the technology is there. Game streaming is the future. It works. It can work better. Of course, there can be optimization issues that, that are coming about as we work through things. Uh, Project xCloud seems to have nailed its messaging uh, as it launches out and rolls out to different countries through 2020, the services that I've been using via xCloud, the games that I've been playing with xCloud, uh, are not flawless, but they are certainly impressive. The idea that I can play platformers, uh, fighting games, flight sims, uh, first-person shooters, all with very little frustration, if any, that's a good sign. I'm playing on underpowered devices like a, a Samsung Tab A. If I'm able to play games with xCloud on that successfully, that's good news. It sounds to me like Stadia, when its technology is working, it works very, very well. However, it, it's the rollout that's been the issue, along with its own game catalog and the UX experience, the user experience, the UI. It's just not there yet. It sounds like it just wasn't ready. But the technology to be able to play a game via stream is, is there and continues to be optimized. Now, again, I go back to the idea, when you think about the services offered by Sony, by Microsoft, by Google, by whomever else, a couple things might come to your mind. If you're thinking Xbox and the Xbox ecosystem, you might be thinking Xbox Live. You might be thinking Xbox Game Pass. You might be thinking about Xbox Live Gold or Game Pass Ultimate or any variation in there, along with xCloud. And then you have a number of other kind of ticks into your brain. Project Scarlet. Is there an Anaconda Lockhart version still? Is that something that's still happening? And you get into the idea of maybe overload for what's going to be offered and how they'll integrate it. Project xCloud certainly is an impressive piece uh, of gaming forte, as they would say, but how will it be bundled into the next gen? I've gone on record and I strongly feel that xCloud should be free to anybody with a Microsoft account because it brings you into their world and allows you to purchase games in that world, play games in that world. You'll still probably need Xbox Live Gold to do just about anything short of single player. And that is where Microsoft has its bread and butter in the, the world of multiplayer. If xCloud is going to expand and allow more devices and how many DualShock 4s are there out there in the gaming world, uh, quite a bit to say the least, if they're going to have a service like xCloud, why not make it free and bring those players in if they've got a third-party controller? Uh, I'm inclined to think that, that that service will be free. Google Stadia, the messaging is still a bit confusing. I'm unsure what truly costs or what will continue to cost, and I'm unsure what Google's motivations are. Speculation comes about that with Google bringing Stadia to the forefront, the idea is they want to have ad overlays in the future. They want to create the, the world of gaming, bring people in, and then offer overlays. I think you can see the YouTube experience for, for a lot of people has begun to get riddled with ads and ad blockers. They're, they're not working the way they might have once done. And that's because things require funding and profit is the reason that business exists. So there's no surprise in that. But Google's goal is likely to make substantial amounts of money and they want to use Stadia to tap into that gamer market. So you have to imagine they're going to and to bring about overlays that, that bring about ads. They want to sell ads in games. Maybe there's a way to integrate it. The technology isn't about bringing games to gamers. It's about selling things to consumers. 
So you'll have to wonder how they go about it. I think the only the only peace of mind that I'm offered there is that with PlayStation and with Xbox and Nintendo, their goal is to sell games to consumers, not necessarily third-party products or sodas or anything else. And there's certainly those deals that exist on the side, but the primary goal is to sell games to gamers and make money off of microtransactions, off game sales, not necessarily hardware and whatnot. So there's a couple things there, but I go back to the original story of Amazon entering into the foray. I'm surprised to hear that's still happening. I wondered I wondered truly where Amazon went in that gaming verse, in that gaming sphere, because I, I was thinking that they were going to roll out games sooner than they have now, and it looks like that got pushed back. Uh, Apple Arcade exists on the Apple front uh, a little bit further out, and that doesn't seem to be competing with Microsoft or, or Sony or any of the other kind of major players for the AAA experiences. But if they are competing for time, that is why services like Netflix see this as a threat. That is why they enter into that world uh, and they are trying to bring about consumer mindshare and consumer time into it. Uh, whether or not I think Amazon is a major player to be to be taken seriously, I think the answer is yes, if only due to their potential. The same way that as much as I want to write Stadia off for its approach into the gaming verse, there's no way you can count Google out just yet. Google may count themselves out early on. They're known to abandon products, so we'll, we will see. I do enjoy seeing the, the comparisons of Stadia and xCloud as the rollout is going about. I'm enjoying the videos that compare and what offers what because those videos are actually going to push the Microsoft xCloud team into to not only bringing more games to their service, but improving the quality of it, bringing it to more devices, making it more available. Uh, I think the coup will be if they can get it running on Apple services uh, comfortably. And you have to imagine those backdoor deals are, are making their way. Would you potentially see xCloud available on a PlayStation? The answer is yes. It, it could absolutely happen, and it's likely a conversation that's being had, maybe tabled, maybe had later. But the idea of seeing Marcus Phoenix being played uh, or used in-game with a DualShock 4, that's not, a, that's not an outside-of-the-realm possibility. Uh, sooner rather than later would be my guess. I don't think that's a bad thing either. I don't think that's a bad thing. You keep that Xbox brand, you think you keep those Xbox studios, but the idea that you move about the world, manipulate uh, Master Chief, whatever controller you're using, I don't think that's the point. I think Microsoft cares about you playing their games using their services because it brings you into their ecosystem, and their ecosystem is what sustains their business. One of the more under-the-radar news uh, pieces that kind of came about in this past week is Crossfire X. Now, we talked about Crossfire X last week. It was announced in the EXO announcement that it would be coming to the West by way of uh, a couple different studios. It is a major player in the Korean esports gaming community uh, with high-powered first-person shooter. It's very much like CSGO. But what is interesting and what flew under the radar is this. Crossfire X, while free-to-play or currently slated to be free-to-play in the Xbox world, is going to have a campaign created by Remedy. Remedy, of course, known for Control. Uh, the quote is, Remedy Entertainment are in charge of creating the single-player campaign for Crossfire X and bringing years of Crossfire lore to life. Crossfire X, you will be immersed into a sprawling global conflict in the Global Risk and Blacklist, two of the world's most formidable private military factions. Global Risk agents use advanced technology to fight for order and security, while Blacklist mercenaries fight to destabilize regimes in the name of freedom. And this is slated to come out in 2020 on the Xbox. Crossfire X, I go back to it, Crossfire X could absolutely be a coup into that Asian market in a number of different ways. The idea, though, that we're not just getting a multiplayer shooter that is free to play, but that there's a campaign being brought in, 
buy those at Remedy Entertainment, that's a big, big deal that I think has flown under the radar. And I'm curious to track this story as it evolves. What kind of campaign are we getting? Is it like Unit 13 back on the Vita, or is it something real real hastily put together, you know, achieve this objective against these both base-level bots with some bad voice acting? Or are we going to get something more thoughtful, something more immersive? Campaigns are a great way to ease players into your gaming verse. They're a great way to let players learn the controls, the mechanics, and what the gameplay themes and goals are for that particular style game. Is this just another first-person shooter, or is there more to it? Having a campaign is an approachability factor that brings about people that maybe they just don't want to be as competitive in their first-person shooters. That's one of the things I enjoy about games like Gears of War and several other first-person shooters that don't necessarily have a highly competitive mode only. They offer other aspects. I enjoy horde mode. I enjoy escape mode. I enjoy co-op modes where I can absolutely lower the difficulty and just roll down some enemies and hang out with my buddies. I, I take special pleasure in playing with Mr. Badbit when we do an escape map or playing with uh, the real Kevin Butler in, in you know horde mode or I'm going to be checking out Borderlands and that's a co-op mode. I'm very excited to do those things and if Crossfire X has a campaign that is one or two or three players that, that you can just bring in and play and you don't need to worry about the highly competitive nature, I think that might be a big coup on the Xbox platform. Either way, it's exciting to see Remedy is going to be heading up a campaign. I mean, goodness gracious, let's talk about Control. Let's talk about Control. It is underplayed, criminally underplayed, and I very much hope that during these Black Friday sales, whatever market you're in, whatever area of the world you're in, it looks like they're doing a number of different sales throughout the different digital storefronts. Please, on whatever system you have, whatever system you prefer, please check out Control. That game is uh, greater than the sum of its parts. It is not without its own flaws, but I find this game to be extremely good. I played through it. I offered my thoughts at the time. I really enjoyed it. And then as I'm a few months removed from playing it, I think back to that campaign as one of my fondest memories of ga or my gaming memories of, rather, of 2019. It's a great campaign, and the physics are, are impressive. The controls are tight. There is something special about that world that only Remedy can bring to the forefront. It makes me also think that I really wish Remedy was creating Force Unleashed 3 or some sort of Star Wars game where you're playing as a Jedi. Uh, don't you worry. Jedi Fallen Order is coming up later on, and goodness do I love that one as well. But Control is a special game, and that's probably why, and I think it's appropriately nominated for one of the Game of the Year uh, announcements that came out for the Keeleys, the Jeff Keeleys Game Awards uh, bit. And Jeff Keeleys Game Awards have come under fire, uh, I think understandably so, but they generated a conversation that I'm not fond of. Now, it's been announced, and a lot of questions are surrounding the heavy emphasis of Kojima's Death Stranding, uh, running through a number of different categories. It was nominated in something like, I believe, nine different categories of Game of the Year, you know, for its various subcategories outside of the, the proper flagship Game of the Year. Well, the, the, it's come under fire because of Jeff Keighley's relationship with Hideo Kojima. Uh, he's, of, of course, in Death Stranding. He is on record publicly at previous Game Award shows offering support for Kojima and offering his, his love and admiration for Kojima as a developer. And I think it's totally understandable, and I would encourage consideration and a small amount of research into the idea that, that Keeley's, Keeley's award show is nominating Death Stranding for so many awards. I think it is totally understandable for gamers to question that or to at least raise a flag in their mind. But I will tell you that while it is understandable, and I do think you should offer that, that conversation out there on, on occasion, 
Uh, a small amount of research into it reveals that Keeley is not a voting member and that there are panelists, something like 80, 80 different media journalists and influencers with, with years of experience in that world that vote on those different categories. And this brings about the idea that, well, yeah, we should totally acknowledge that Kojima has a relationship with Keeley and that they are both uh, heavily involved in this year's show. They're not the ones choosing the awards. Keeley is not the one that, that's mainstaying that award. And I do not enjoy the gamer reaction of voliciousness. That's not what I want to say. The volatile nature that some gamers are approaching uh, this conversation. There is no reason to be attacking anybody on Twitter. You absolutely should be able to raise the question of journalistic integrity and if this is sound. But when they reveal and show the panelists that are included, it is those panelists' integrity that you need to take into account. If you don't respect panelist X or Y that is on that show, then you need not worry about that category because it no longer holds weight to you. And what does Game of the Year even mean anymore? In this year, 2019, I'm not sure there was a clear Witcher 3, Breath of the Wild, God of War that stood out to me as being the best. But even then, if it did, why care? Why concern yourself with what Luke Lore thinks about the Game of the Year versus Jeff Keighley's panel or uh, IGN or any other? When you, If you enjoy a game, nothing stops you from buying and supporting that game and offering a voice to it. And I think we just need to keep that in mind as we go. I don't think Game of the Year means as much as it perhaps once did due to kind of the, the permutation throughout gaming culture and due to the idea that so many people have access to different voices and personalities. When I find a voice that uh, is in the YouTube space, the podcast space, the streaming space, and they like the games that I like or I value their opinion or you know, Streamer X says, hey, I really enjoyed this game. If I know their, their likes and dislikes, I know that I, if I am more likely to enjoy a game that they did and take their recommendation accordingly. I hope that's what people do when they hear my recommendations. They know, hey, Luke likes this type of game. That's not for me. I don't need to go pick up this or that. Or they say to themselves, you know, this guy hosting this show or I watch him stream and he digs Sparklight. I might dig Sparklight. Check that out. Uh, my urge and emphasis is if you value my opinion in games, do check out Control. It's a fantastic one. I should also, I'd be remiss not to list the, the Game of the Year flagship proper offered by the Game Awards, which uh, is a flagship industry piece. The games nominated are Control, Death Stranding, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, Smash Brothers Ultimate, The Outer Worlds, and Resident Evil 2. And I think that is a strong list. Of course, we would all have our own snubs and inclusions. I was surprised by a few games not included or a few games that, that were included in there on that list. But overall, I think it's a solid list of, of well-represented, diverse group. It's nice to see Smash Brothers Ultimate getting some, some coverage there. While not a game that I you know, would, would count, of it, count it as my game of the year, I certainly went in and unlocked all the characters. I bought the DLC. I think it's fun to... to partake in the conversations of Smash Brothers because there's a lot of energy and excitement around what characters are included each year. Resident Evil 2 Remake was a wonderful remake uh, of a classic game that really offered a brand new and entirely different experience. I played through Resident Evil 2 and at the time I wasn't too thrilled with it, but hindsight offers new clarity on it and I really appreciated the quality of the game and while I wasn't scared, uh, I didn't actually get scared of it the way I did Resident Evil 7. I'm really glad it exists, and with rumors of Resident Evil 3 Remake Nemesis coming out there, yo, I'm in. I'm in on that. I like it. 
Outer Worlds inclusion is, is fantastic. I think Obsidian made a great game. I think it's silly that sometimes it's included in an indie conversation because it is backed by 2K at one point, and then Private Division and, and Microsoft are entering into different parts of that conversation with Outer Worlds. But it's a great RPG and a great return to form, and Fallout fans rejoice. Fans that are not Fallout uh, specific can absolutely take a, take a stab at it by way of Game Pass. There's something special in Outer Worlds. The one that surprised me most, actually, was Sekiro Shadows Died Twice. That game came and went for me, and I, I wasn't thrilled by it. I didn't like it. When I say that, I should also preface that Soulsborne-style games and the parry systems, not for me. Not for me. And yet, Jedi Fallen Order has taught me that, and that's actually something I'm going to get to when we get to that particular topic. Death Stranding is an interesting one for a number of reasons, because it does have a very divided Metacritic. And Metacritic can be... Oh, pardon me for dropping that. Metacritic can be its own evil. I think sometimes as gamers, we very casually, without doing proper research, we'll go look at the Metacritic and say, oh, it's an 82, it's an 85, uh, that means it's trash, or that means it's amazing, or it's better than this. You know, Gears of War has this Metacritic rating, and they're better than Death Stranding. So what? Not the point. It's it's not a one-to-one. It's not a fair comparison. It is one method of aggregation, uh, and really it's it's about helping traffic on different sites. Uh, and it's an easy way to look at like what this this person said, this person said, this person said. And it's good for that, but I think it can sometimes taint the conversation that we bring about to it. Uh, should Gears of War been included, I would have included it in my personal uh, game of the year because I really thought that campaign was well-performed and had great audio design and the gameplay was, was effective. But it wasn't overly unique to a lot of gamers, whereas Death Stranding might have been. I've not played Death Stranding. I can only go off what others have said. But it seems to be a divisive game, and those who get it really get it, and it's something special. It's something unique. The idea that Jedi Fallen Order wasn't included because it was there on the cutoff day, but perhaps reviewers and those panelists that we referred to earlier were not able to include their thoughts. No, that makes sense. I get it. I do worry that Jedi Fallen Order will kind of become lost in the ether as we move into 2020, which is supposed to be, provided provided no two crazy delays show up, provided that conversation stays what we think it will be, you're going to have Cyberpunk, you're going to have Last of Us 2, possibly Ghost of Tsushima, Halo Infinite, and a number of other unannounced things that could, could come about. So where does Jedi Fallen Order fall into that category? And there's a reason, there's a fundamental reason beyond date and timing that I think Jedi Fallen Order might have missed out on this one, but there's something to it. Whatever your personal thoughts are on the game of the, the game of the year or the game awards, please recognize that this is an industry staple for us to have. It is important that the gaming industry have an award show that is is I should say in the conversation that all eyes go to that will generate news about it to see game announcements there to see the impact of what it what it has. I'm very proud that the Game Awards exist because a few years back it was the shit Quattro Man and it was the Spike TV Awards and it's not the same thing. This feels special. This feels unique. Snubs and inclusions alike, it doesn't matter. I think this is a time for us to celebrate games, recognize that the Game Awards doesn't mean you or, or, or your friends can't enjoy a game that is your personal game of the year. I mean, Apex Legends is certainly up there for me. I, I put in a lot of time to it. Uh, it wasn't even really even mentioned in the mainstay process and that's fine. That doesn't stop me from enjoying it. it. doesn't stop me from enjoying my personal favorites of the year. But celebrate this. Celebrate the idea that the Game Awards exist. Celebrate that they are there. And celebrate the idea that uh, it brings about conversations that can be held in a very good standing. Uh, I like that. And I appreciate those involved in bringing it to us. And I encourage you, lastly, my last point here, go look at the panelists for that particular category. If you're wondering, 
uh, Y X Game Wins Y Award, go in and look at who voted on that particular one, and you can take those panelists' accounts, uh, their integrity into your own consideration, and if you do or don't respect them, that might change the weight of the impact for you. That's all it goes. I encourage dialogue on that topic. I think it's worthy to ask questions. I don't think it's worthy to attack and be negative about it. Oh, goodness. You know, it's it's hard to talk about gaming specific to the Xbox ecosystem sometimes uh, when you're not sure what's going to be entering into that world. But a story that stood out to me is that Half-Life Alex has been announced by Valve. Now, this is a big deal. The Half-Life franchise has a huge amount of weight in the Gamerverse, and yet... It's not on a Microsoft platform at the moment. There are, of course, Valve games there, but Valve is a strange company in 2019. We're not quite sure if their focus is Steam. We're not quite sure if their focus is on creating games because they're starting to get back into that. But the big deal is that Half-Life Alex is coming. It's not Half-Life 3. Valve itself is scared of making Half-Life 3. I understand that. The game is VR only in order to play on the Valve Index, HTC Vive, Windows Mixed Reality, Oculus Rift, Oculus Quest, with some caveats and asterisks next to a, a few of those. Now, I wonder if we will see VR hitting with Project Scarlet. Not Microsoft selling a VR headset or a bundle with it, but does Valve, or does any VR maker, want to create a user experience or a way to access VR for those that have a Project Scarlet console, because it's likely you need local hardware. I doubt this could work with xCloud technology yet. Do they want a way to access those gamers who are uh, a front to PC, they're not really into the PC market, they don't want to enter into having uh, a rig that can handle this or that? Is Scarlet capable and and willing to carry a VR moniker? Is PlayStation 5? Because that would push you know Microsoft if, if PS5 were to do that. And I would offer the prediction that yes, I think that they that Valve or any other uh, VR company does want to see their units work and com- be compatible with a console space for a number of different reasons. And I would have to think that given the way that Microsoft has been very chummy with Valve lately, trying to get their games into the Valve storefronts and work with uh, getting their games onto Steam, you have to wonder if Xbox isn't trying to smooth relations there the way they have with Nintendo uh, to to open the doors to the possibility of bringing VR VR ability to the console space. It has been stated and it is understandable that local hardware will always be fastest. So I think local hardware is what you would need in order to have VR. And that might be the the difference between having a Scarlet or just streaming Scarlet by way of xCloud or Game Pass for PC in the next gen. Having a VR headset that plays Half-Life Alex or plays, you know, Vader Eternal or anything else, that might be a big boon for whichever console space decides to go with it. We know, we know how powerful the Xbox One X truly is compared to its market comp- competitors and PS5 or PS4 Pro, compared to its own Xbox One S, compared to the Switch. And we know that those custom chipsets within the Xbox One S and that liquid cooling they've got going on, there's something special to it. There's a powerhouse. I mean, if you have picked up an Xbox One S, you know how heavy it, an S is compared to an X. And those systems are packed with technology. So what do you do in the next gen? How do you approach that VR space? I think Half-Life Alex might generate the conversations in the back end, in the front end, and get people interested in VR in a way that perhaps they weren't before. TSVR over on the PlayStation side certainly brought about a number of people checking out things like Beat Saber or Astrobot. And for all the quality those games may have, I think a lot of their conversations died down because the install base was small. It's an active install base. It's a powerful install base to its group. 
but it's not entering into the the mainstream discussions and mindshare of a lot of people. I hope VR continues to catch on because it's a new way to interact with games and it will offer us a new way to interface with our various worlds, mixed reality, augmented reality, and a number of other different things could come up as options. But if if Valve and Xbox and Oculus are all able to get along and make things work, could be a huge boost to all platforms involved. Gamers would no longer need that high-powered PC. They could go with a, st- a console that has a status quo, the idea of op- you can have optimized software, not have to code for multiple different drivers and Excel spreadsheets and turbo taxes and I don't know how PCs work. Whatever. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We have to talk about Jedi Fallen Order. It was last week that I had started off the show. It was last week that I had begun playing Jedi Fallen Order, and I believe the quote I offered is that it is a great game just shy of amazing. I stand by that quote, but I can tell you that in the time since that recording and now, it has continued to be great, and it is now among, if not my favorite, Star Wars game of all time. And that is a high bar to set. I mean, when you're talking about games like Jedi Academy and Rogue Squadron and X-Wing and Dark Forces, they're, they're, those are high-caliber games. Episode 1 Racer's got to be in that conversation. But Jedi Fallen Order has continued to enthrall me and bring me into its world in a way that other games that share its gameplay mechanics cannot. And it is not simply the Star Wars universe, which it absolutely nails. I would say Respawn has captured the spirit, the magic, and the essence of what it means to be in the Star Wars world. It continues to show throughout its storyline the entire time through. I must be 20 hours in and not done with it uh, I'm not at the final boss. I could be at the final boss, but I've chosen to go off and explore a few different things and continue to fill out some skill trees and, uh, and get some customizations because it's just that fun. Jedi Fallen Order is a game that gets better as you play it. And I think uh, there are a couple factors here. Cal, the main character, Cal Kestis, while very well acted and, and a beautiful relationship he has with his, his droid buddy, BD, he starts off far too weak. When you first start the game, and that could put a lot of players off, you do not feel like a Jedi You do not even feel like a Padawan. You can barely do anything except swing and block with a lightsaber, and even then you're not very good at it. If this scares players, if the idea of a Dark Souls-esque, you know, parry system for Sekiro, or or just in general, difficult games scare you off, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know that I can do this, I would encourage you to still pick up the game. Very seriously, pick up the game. Start it on story mode. It is extremely forgiving, and as you level up and explore the world you begin to feel powerful. I went from trying to start off at hard mode, way, way out of my realm, dropped it down to normal, dropped it down again to to easy or story mode in which it's super forgiving. And because I was able to continue enjoying being in the Star Wars universe, I was also able to enjoy playing the game. And I learned the mechanics and the way that the game is meant to be played. My brain wanted to play Force Unleashed. That is not what this game is. It doesn't even pretend to be. That was my fault. That is on me. And yet, as I learned the mechanics, I was able to bump the difficulty back up and still enjoy those great moments. There's something special about the Arkham games in that they make you feel like Batman in a way no game with the Batman moniker ever did. Fallen Order makes you feel like a Jedi, and you're going on the path of learning to be a Jedi or relearning by way of the canon. And what's interesting is, as I've upgraded the difficulty back to normal, I still feel wonderful. I'm still enjoying the world, still enjoying the canon. And there's a neat little byproduct that happens for Star Wars fans in that as you start off weak, 
if you get frustrated and start just trying to hack everything and you get angry, you very much become a, a, a person of the dark side in which anger kind of takes over and you get frustrated and angry with what's going on in the game and you lose what it means to be a Jedi. And it's a neat little background thing that happens and, and you can adjust the difficulty to be more approachable, of course, but you learn what the game is teaching you to do and there's a very Jedi-esque patience that goes about running through uh, the thread throughout the game. And it's really cool to see. It's wonderful the way it handles the Force. There are some issues that come with like grabbing ropes off of ledges. But then you, you gain Force Pull, and it's like, oh, this is how a Jedi would do it. It makes perfect sense. There, the game is not without its own frustrations. I talked about them a bit last week. There are a few bugs here and there. Um, there's some traversal issues with the map, but it captures a very Metroidvania-esque game. It's a special entry. It is a special game. Fallen Order gets better the more you play it. Fallen Order allows you to be more Jedi-like than any other game has ever in, in years prior. And there have been some great games to do that. Jedi Knight uh, and Jedi Academy both did that extremely well. I'm very proud that I'm, I'm enjoying this game the way I am because I was initially so put off by this parry system, that Sekiro-esque difficulty. Just lower it and enjoy being in that world. And the game will teach you to play it quite, quite well. And there's something fun about returning to an area after you've already been there and you've gained abilities. And any enemy can kill you at any time, but it's not hard. It's fun. You're excited to see uh, a slate of troopers that you can reflect blaster bolts back at. You're excited to see a warrior on Dathomir and, and parry your system with your, with your lightsabers. And your lightsabers gain abilities that I will not spoil for you. But there are some special, beautiful, gorgeous moments. The game has its own visual flaws here and there. But it gets more beautiful the more you're able to do and that slow-mo camera, which should be in every game ever, always, slow-mo cameras are incredible. Uh, it gives you some special feeling moments. And then the dialogue between Cal and BD is, is on par with Luke and R2. It is that good. It is surprising to see a video game entry into Star Wars canon offer a droid companion as good as BD. Uh, it's a special relationship. And it makes sense that they would nail it. Titanfall 2 is one of the best first-person shooter campaigns ever, and you are... You are in a relationship with a droid. That came out weird. You have a relationship with a robot, BD-7274, uh, and it's, it's practically a droid relationship there. You, you go about and you understand what it means to have a friend that just happens to be mechanical, and there is a, there is a cool feeling that goes about and runs a thread through that storyline. So I encourage Jedi Fallen Order for anyone that has a passive interest in Star Wars, for anybody that enjoys games uh, like Dark Souls, and if you enjoy neither... The game's not for you. If you enjoy either one of those things, this game is for you. Please don't be scared off by all the conversations of difficulty. You can lower it to easy mode. And a little bit of time spent offers you hours and hours of greatness to it. You can critical path the story. For those of you that are worried about time or you're in what I like to call dad mode and you need a 10-hour story, you can just about get there in that. If you want more to it and you want to explore, I'm in hour 20 and having a blast with it. There's a lot of Uncharted-esque moments that feel good. Uh, I, I was surprised to see that I liked it that much. I, I go back again. This is a great game. It's just shy of amazing by way of a few things, but I'm anxious to see what, what this series does, what this franchise does. Uh, I hope to see the inevitable DLC that, that allows me to do some things that the, the main campaign canonically wouldn't. Just give me some alternate skins or uh, some some you know make me look like Kylo Ren or Vader or anything else because... Cal, Cal is a goody-goody and a great, great avatar, 
for you to project yourself onto in many ways. But I would like to be kind of kind of a bad guy. I'd love to see also a Fallen Order-esque systems game made by Respawn where you play as an Inquisitor and you hunt down Jedi. What a cool feeling that would be. What a cool idea that would be to exist in that world as an Inquisitor and play the bad role. It's one of the things Bioware really nailed when they did uh, Knights of the Old Republics 1, 1 and 2. Was it Obsidian? My point remains the same. The idea that, that being a bad guy can be special and offer different gameplay mechanics. I would love to see what the idea of Fallen Order's mechanics could do with a, a character that is prone to the dark side or more more easily lured into the dark side. Play as an Inquisitor. That'd be really neat. My last thing on this, I want to see more Star Wars games. I know I said it last week. I'm going to keep saying it just like I keep saying, where's Batman? Uh, but we need to see more Star Wars games. Bring about the next Rogue Squadron. Bring about uh, Force Unleashed 3. Make it by, made it by Remedy. Force powers galore. Keep making Fallen Order. More Star Wars games. I think it's time for it. I think we need to see it. That is a, a strong feeling on the ghost front here. So consider that XEP's uh, message for you. Uh, speaking of just XEP must play 2019, a few of you have started writing in what your must play games are for 2019. Please keep doing that. We're not going to do a game of the year conversation. I don't think that's relevant or helpful for, for this type of uh, product, this type of podcast, as much as I enjoy doing it. I don't think game of the year is a conversation that I need to truly have uh, for my own personal defense and whatnot, but I will offer must plays, things that I think everybody should check out from this year. So, you know, write me in those those topics. Twitter Twitter uh, handle is InsipidGhost, at InsipidGhost. Of course, it's on Mixer as well, because brand synergy is important. Let's go to a few listener questions. We got one or two in here that I thought were worthwhile. The first one comes from Brendan Myers, and he asks, will we eventually see xCloud on, an, on the Xbox console, uh, where if one decides to play a new game day one, they'd be able to play it right away instead of having to download and install it? Oh, that's a great question, Brennan. So what he's asking is, if you see a game that's available on xCloud, do you need to download it? Can you just use your Xbox console to access it and play it via xCloud? Brennan, I think the answer is absolutely yes. You are going to be able to play games on xCloud from your Xbox console, whether or not they lock it away to Xbox One X's or S's or what their version might be or what caveats may come with it. I think what Microsoft wants to do as they roll out the xCloud service is by 2021 or somewhere in 2021, if you still have an Xbox One X or S, they want you to be able to play Scarlet games via xCloud. They want that. I think that is the goal. They would love to have you on local hardware. I think that's that's a, a comfortable portion, but that is not where their money is made. And if money is tight for you uh, or for a friend of yours and you want to play Halo Infinite and they can just pick up their DualShock, pick up their Xbox One controller, pick up their Stadia controller, whatever it is they have, uh, and they can can dive into that Xbox world and play Halo Infinite with you, whether you're playing on local hardware or, or they're using xCloud or you're both using xCloud, that is what they want. So to put simply, yes, I do think that your Xbox One X will play games via xCloud at some point in the future. I think that's the goal. That's what they want. You just log in and boom, there's game streaming for you. Infrastructure conversations will have to be had uh, and made. Data caps will certainly be continuing as Google Stadia comes about. There's a, a political and uh, law-based weight that Google can bring into that conversation and force companies into canceling restrictions or altering restrictions for data caps. But also the onus is on compression and getting the, 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 the amount of data needed up and down to stream a game of high quality. That matters, and I think that's going to be in there. But yes, we absolutely will be able to uh, 
stream Scarlet quality games onto your Xbox console. I would love that. The real question, the coup d'etat of all this, is at some point in this generation, with Amazon and Google entering the fray, will you be able to do that Play xCloud on your PlayStation 5? That's, that's the fun conundrum to think about. I think at some point you will. I think at some point you will. I think the plastic box is becoming less and less important, and the brand moniker, the ecosystem, is what is important. Uh, controller hardware, interface hardware is important, but the plastic box that plays it locally, ah, that's coming less and less necessary for to, to reach the maximum amount of gamers. I can tell you as a gamer, a longtime gamer, and I'd imagine many people that listen to this show will almost always want local hardware. Almost always want local hardware because there's a latency issue there. No matter what, there's always latency between your controller and your system, and then if you have to pipe it through to different servers, sure, sure. I'll always want local hardware, but that's just the way that the, the direction we're going in this generation, and I have no problem or qualms with that. A tangentially related question comes from highly and highly and intelligent. What's up, Jared? He says, uh, "How do you think XCloud will handle discs? If we buy digital, it's, it's assumed that we will have XCloud access. But what about a disc? Will the game have to be in a disc slot to access XCloud version?" Hmm. I would imagine they handle XCloud access with discs by the same way they handle backward compatibility. You know, the idea you put that disc in, but it's not really playing off of it. It's just giving you the access to that service. Uh, I also think that this conversation, this question will be outdated in a few years because there is inevitably going to be a Scarlet disk drive or a Scarlet system that does not have a disk drive. And I am all for that future. I do not think physical is necessary anymore. I actually think it's rather wasteful and on an environmental level. And I think it's going to start going away. Uh, I know that sounds a bit pretentious in some categories, but I would love to see a disc recycling system. Uh, maybe they just, you send in the disc and then boom, you have access that's added to your account. I don't think they lose too much that way. That system and service could certainly be manipulated, but most services can in some way. Uh, but I think that they will allow your disc to be in the system and then just give you xCloud access. That'll be your key. Will it need to be in the system? I think so, if you're still tied to physical media. But if you're still tied to physical media, and you have to put in your Destiny 2 disc to play Shadowkeep. Well, I mean, Shadowkeep's not on that system, most or that disc most likely. I mean, what is Destiny anymore if not a storefront that's being constantly updated in a live service MMO? Your disc is almost meaningless in a lot of ways. It might give you access to something, but it's nothing's being played off of it anymore. Uh, for goodness sakes, I think we download and offload whatever information is onto a disc onto a hard drive so that it's easier to to access. And with solid state drives coming out, the load times to, to bring information off a disc would just be a tre uh, horrendous. So yeah, to put simply, I think we will. It'll be your key to unlock, and then it'll just be gradually phased away because physical will fade out. And that's just and that's the death throes of GameStop. They're going to be going into more more retro style gaming. That's just what they're going to have to do. So take that for what you will. I really appreciate you guys writing in questions uh, this past week. Guys, we're two months in, eight episodes into Xbox Expansion Pass. And I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure and a blast thus far to be supported, to see the show grow. I want to thank all of you who are listening. If this is a first time listening or it's kind of your first or second episode and you made your way over from, uh, you know, PSVG's Xbox Empire or, or Player One Podcast, thank you so much for being here. And thank you to those of you who are sharing it, who are reviewing or anything else. I see it on my end and I take it as a personal 
a personal boost and boom when I see that happen, when I get your messages. Some of you guys tweet me at insipidghost on Twitter and you say kind things or you DM me. Some of you are emailing uh, insipidghost at gmail.com. And some of you have even uh, been jumping into my Mixer channel, mixer.com slash insipidghost. And it's really cool to see. It, it, it means quite a bit to start a new project, to go on a journey, and have people you know come along for the ride and, and join with. So thank you so much for that. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be playing in this next week is Borderlands 3. Actually, once I'm done recording, I'm going to go start Borderlands 3. I'm super excited to do it. I'm doing that thanks to those of you who have been dropping embers. I had my birthday stream, and many of you came in and dropped embers on Mixer. That is uh, certainly something I really appreciated. That's helping me play more games to, to cover and discuss things. It's just, I, I know I'm getting very personal for a moment, but it's important to me that you all know how much it means to be able to, to have a show that you guys are are checking out and listening to. So thank you to each and every one of you. It means the world more than you probably realize. Well, that'll do it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and enjoyed coming along for the ride. Xbox Expansion Pass XEP means a lot to me, and I hope you're enjoying it. That's it. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thank you.